And welcome back. Moving right along in our study of 1 John, we're in chapter 3. Bill Kahn did a great job last time of covering the first three verses of chapter 3 about the love that the Father has bestowed upon us, um, that we would be called children of God. And so now we're going to be... Uh, we're going to be covering verses 4 through 10 of chapter 3. So um, let's read our passage before we unpack it. It says, starting in verse 4, 1 John 3, verse 4, Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. So, as I've mentioned, we... We are going through this series, uh, this book of 1 John, in a series uh, at, at Men's Breakfast uh, here at the Rock Community Church. And um, so when we, when we covered these verses, it, it actually provoked a, a little bit of a discussion amongst the men. And I'm, I'll talk a little, bit about, a little bit more about that in a few minutes. But uh, you might have noticed... Uh, that this could stir a debate just because of the nature of the passage, right? It's talking about sin and how it says anyone who sins, no one who is born of God practices sin. In other words, if you're born of God, you don't sin. It says everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness, it says. So these are these are pretty uh, pretty uh, intense words. It's very black and white. And the final verse really sums it up. That verse ten, right? By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. I mean. We can just recite that verse and be done with this message right now, right? That's it. We're done. We read that, that verse, and uh, we can all go home now. Well, we're not going to, obviously, we're not going to do that. We're going to unpack this, but it's pretty clear in that final verse, right? How can you tell a believer from a non-believer? Answer, anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. I mean, that's very clear. And, you know, at first glance, we read this and we instantly, we instantly might, might say, oh, no, I, I don't qualify. <laughs> you know, I, 
I'm not perfect. I, I do sin. I'm out. And that is true, right? I mean, we don't qualify. We, we do sin. I'll, I'll touch on that on more more on that a little bit later also. But uh, this passage is is unambiguous, and yet there's there's this tremendous confusion in evangelicalism about this idea of what constitutes a Christian. And I fear that it's the the watered down gospel and this idea that. Um, Unrepentant sin is fine. There's nothing wrong with it. My fear is that that type of teaching has gone on for so long and it is so deeply embedded in the conscience of of the evangelical church that it may never actually go away. Right? I, you know, I, I, I don't think this was always the case. Um, my understanding is that uh, the American church, uh, historically, has been has been pretty biblical. Their doctrine about sin um, and and uh, what what constitutes a true Christian uh, was actually very biblical, historically speaking, in the American church. Uh, I don't I don't think that's the case anymore. In fact, I know that's not the case anymore. I've heard so many. Pastors, teachers of the Bible, Christians say that unrepentant sin is not a problem. Is It doesn't disqualify you from Christianity. I mean, I've heard that a lot. Repentance is not necessary for salvation, they'll say. They'll say, you know, as long as you prayed the sinner's prayer, right? You prayed that prayer, you recited the words, or you followed along as someone else prayed it. As long as you did that, you're, you're saved. You're going to heaven. Got your uh, fire insurance. I've heard pastors, friends of mine, say, you know, saving faith simply means just confessing that Jesus is the Christ. That's all you got to do. Make that confession. Just make the claim that Jesus is your Savior and you're saved. I've heard pastors teach this, that uh, Christians can live in perpetual carnality. They can live like the unsaved. And they're still in God's kingdom because they're forgiven. Even if they live in unrepentant sin. As I mentioned, this, this, um, this study sparked a conversation in our men's breakfast where, um, I mean, the guys had questions about this, right? And, and not surprisingly, right? This, this, is, this is very black and white language, unambiguous. You know, uh, we all have an example of someone in our life who claims to be a Christian, claims to be saved. Maybe they even go to church, or maybe they used to go to church, used to be very involved in church. Maybe they are currently very involved in church, teaching Sunday school, attending a Bible study, all those things. And yet they're, they're living a sinful life, unrepentant, perpetual sin in their life. 
that is a big red flag. Uh, I'll just say it that way, just to kind of um, not, not be too harsh, but that's a big red flag to say the least. If someone's living in unrepentant sin, you have to question their salvation. Again, Christians sin, but we, re, we respond differently to it. We repent. We don't, we don't do it perpetually. We, we're being sanctified. We're doing it less and less. To continually or perpetually sin without repentance, that's not what a Christian does. I, I, you know, the people that are, are in my life that I see doing this or that I see uh, proclaiming that repentance is not necessary, all you have to do is pray the prayer, you can live in perpetual carnality. When I hear someone say that, I'll usually take them to First John and I'll show them verses like this, verses like First uh, John 3.10, which we just read. And I've, I've seen people get very uncomfortable by the language that John uses here. Because like I said, it's black and white. There's no, there's no confusion here. It's very clear what he's saying. And it makes people uncomfortable. They don't want to hear that. That's, that's convicting. That's calling them out on their sin and saying, hey, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. You know, if you don't practice righteousness, you're not of God. The one who practices sin, it says, is of the devil. Oof. Might as well punch them in the stomach, right? They don't want to hear that. Some do. I mean, some will read that and they'll, they'll feel that conviction. They'll feel that tug on their heart. And the Lord will work on them. And they will understand all of a sudden that their, their, their unrepentant sin is not okay. First John is pretty clear about this matter. God is very clear about this matter. And, uh, you know, again, this is, this is one of those places in Scripture where we read this and we say, oh, no, you know, I'm dead meat. I, I don't qualify. I sin. I'm out of the kingdom. But we need to remember First John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. You remember that? We covered it a few weeks ago. He says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. We have an advocate, Jesus Christ. And he is the propitiation. He's the satisfaction for our sins. He paid our penalty. And so we can then say, we are forgiven. We are in the kingdom. We are righteous. Not our own righteousness, but Jesus' righteousness that is imputed onto us. And our sin is imputed onto him. But, here's the but. We can't, right? We cannot use such verses as the one we just read, First John 2, 1 and 2. We can't use these verses as a license to sin unrepentantly and continually or consistently, can we? We can't. We cannot do that. Paul, Paul said as much in Romans chapter 6. He says, 
Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? This is not a license to uh, sin unrepentantly so that grace may increase and we can uh, just continually be forgiven, forgiven, forgiven without any kind of repentance. Carnality, right? This is not a license for that. And yet so many professing believers continue in blatant, unrepentant sin. And this is to be expected. We're to expect things like this because Satan is always attacking the gospel, right? He's always... Uh, he's always helping people to be secure in their doctrinal error. And just like in John's time, because remember that there were wolves in the church back in John's time. That's why he wrote 1 John. There were savage wolves spreading false doctrine about who Jesus was, spreading false doctrine about sin, about love, about all these things. And just like in John's time, we have savage wolves in the church today. Savage wolves who will teach false doctrine, who will teach that you can sin unrepentantly and still be a believer. And those who, those who preach that the believer is free to sin all they want, with no, without, without you know, thinking about assurance of salvation or anything like that, those who preach that, they don't have the right gospel. They don't have the right Jesus. They don't have the right understanding of Jesus' life, his sinless life, and, and, and understanding the cross. They have an erroneous definition of faith. Jesus said, if you love me, you will, remember, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So what do we do about this? What, what do we, how do we confront this, right? So we, we know that we know that we sin, right? We understand that we don't keep the commandments perfectly. I mean, just the other night, I, I spoke a little bit too harshly to one of my children, probably not just a little bit too harshly. And I had to uh, repent of that. I, I repented. I, I actually uh, apologized to my child and, and um, ask for forgiveness. But we do sin, right? We, we, we don't keep the commandments perfectly. But the key word that I want us to focus on is this word practice, right? Practice. Verse, verse 4, it says, Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. In verse 7, it says, uh, Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Verse 8, um, the one who practices sin is of the devil. In verse 9, uh, the one who is born of God, the one, I'm sorry, no one who is born of God practices sin. And in verse 10, by this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who, pract who does not practice righteousness is not of God. It's all about what we practice. This is referring to the habitual lifestyle, right? Do you practice sin? Do you have a habitual lifestyle of sin? Or do you practice righteousness? 
Is righteousness your habitual lifestyle? Is, is the pattern of your life one of sin? Or is the pattern of your life one of righteousness, right? Our habits. What are, what are your habits? Now, we all know that old habits are hard to break, right? When we first got saved, we did not break our sinful habits instantly. That did not happen. I wish it would have, but it it didn't happen for me. There's a a process of sanctification. And, 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 you know, God is transforming us day in and day out through the Holy Spirit living inside our hearts. And we're being sanctified. We're becoming more and more perfect, more and more like Him. We are being transformed, right? It's it's a process. It's a process. It's a process. Now, I don't know about you, but w- when I was first saved, I, I was a pretty bad guy. I I, I did a lot. I just had a, a very deep uh, lifestyle of sin, and uh, and I when I got saved, some of those things that I was doing, I I, I continued to do them. Uh, not as much, but I would still do some of these things. And I, I did have a moment where I realized, you know what, i got to stop doing this thing. The, the, I'm feeling convicted. I know that this is sinful. I cannot be living this lifestyle anymore. I have to stop. And so I did. With the help of the Holy Spirit, I, I, I was able to kind of wean myself off of some of those sins. I'm still work. I'm still a work in progress. The Lord is still working on me, but I'm being sanctified, and I and I'm I repent when I do fall into sin. Because you know, ultimately the conviction of the Holy Spirit just it just became so heavy on my heart. I just realized this is not God's will. And as I read the Bible more and more, I started to understand this is not okay. God is not okay with me sinning while the Holy Spirit is dwelling in my heart. I was grieving the Holy Spirit when I had sin in my heart, perpetual sin. I was grieving the Holy Spirit. See, when we sin, we are literally grieving the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 25, uh, I'm sorry, in Ephesians chapter 4, 25 through 32. Paul is speaking about sin. He's he's giving kind of a list of sins and what not to do, right? And in the middle of it, he says something very interesting. Let's read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 32. He says, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Now here's the key. Verse 30, he says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, 
tender-hearted, forgiving one another, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. In the middle of that list of these do's and don'ts, he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. When we sin, when we have sin in our heart, in our heart where the, where the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside us, we're grieving Him. We're grieving the Holy Spirit. God is grieved when His children choose to remain in their old ways. He's grieved when His children refuse to change. He's grieved when His children continue to sin unrepentantly. He's grieved when righteousness is not a way of life for the child of God. When we willfully and habitually sin, we are literally grieving the one who died for us. Why would we ever want to grieve someone we love? Why would we ever be okay with grieving someone who has given us so much? John 16 talks about how the Holy Spirit convicts us, right? In John 16, verses 7 through 11, he says, this is Jesus talking. He says, but I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, that's the Holy Spirit, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me, and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world, Satan, has been judged. A true believer will feel that conviction because the Holy Spirit is dwelling in them and it says the Helper will not... will come to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That's where that conviction comes from as believers, is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, that's one of his jobs. Conviction of sin. And so, when we sin, we're grieving him. Sin is absolutely incompatible with the Holy Spirit living in inside us. Sin is absolutely com- incompatible with the law of God. Right? Sin is incompatible with God's law. I mean, in verse 4 of our passage, 1 John 3, 4, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness, right? Now, that should raise some red flags. Does that word lawless lawlessness ring a bell? Does, do you guys know where else we read that word, lawlessness? I'll give you a hint. It's at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Probably one of the scariest verses or passages in all the Bible. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons 
and in your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Those who practice lawlessness will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. That is scary. A true believer does not practice lawlessness. A true believer does not practice sin or disobedience. You know, we sometimes fall into sin, either willingly or, or maybe inadvertently. But when we sin, if we are confessors, right? Remember 1 John 1, 9? If we confess, if we're the type of person that confesses when we sin, then God is faithful and righteous to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we practice lawlessness, we need to do some self-examination. Now, I, I mentioned that's a scary uh, passage, right? That not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? That, that can be a scary verse, but it, it shouldn't be scary to the believer. Now, I confess that sometimes I look at that verse and oh, I shudder, but really I shouldn't. We should be assured in our salvation if we practice righteousness. We should be assured in our salvation. I, I've heard it described this way. I believe it was uh, John MacArthur who, who said it this way. A Christian's life is marked by a pattern of obedience to God, occasionally interrupted by sin. Let me say that again. A Christian's life is marked by a pattern of obedience to God, occasionally interrupted by sin. Does your life look that way? Does my life look that way? Pattern of obedience, occasionally interrupted by sin? Is there a pattern of sin in your life, or is there a pattern of obedience in your life? What's your reaction when someone confronts you with your sin? How do you react when when someone says to you, Hey, hey, brother... I see this sin in your life and I'm just, I just want, I'm, I love you and I want to tell you. Is your knee-jerk reaction to deny it? Or do you deal with it biblically? Do you repent? How do you respond to someone who vehemently degrees, disagrees with you politically? Right, in today's political climate, I mean, we can, get, we can get some harsh reactions from people when we tell them our political position. And we can get uh, slandered, we can get hurt by someone's words, or maybe even physically hurt. And so how do you respond when someone treats you that way? Do you, do you give them the other cheek too? If they take your shirt, do you give them your coat also? I mean, these are, these are things, questions we should be asking ourselves if we're to be examining our heart and seeing whether or not we have a pattern of obedience in our life. Here's another one. Does your heart break when you realize that you have sinned? Does your heart break when you realize that you have sinned? 
Or do you just want to deny it, sweep it under the rug, or maybe get mad at the person who, who opened your eyes to your sin? Remember King David? When he sinned with Bathsheba and the, the prophet Nathan came to him and confronted him? David wrote about that in Psalm 51. He says, Be gracious to me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness, according to your greatness of your compa- according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sins. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned. And done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak, and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in my in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. I'm gonna skip down to verse ten. He says, Create in me. A clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, the God of my salvation then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. Now listen to verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Now remember, this was after King David had sinned with Bathsheba. They uh, had had a child together. Bathsheba was a married woman. David was a married man. They sinned. They had a child. And David attempted to Murder. Well, he did murder her husband, Bathsheba's husband. And after all that, David repents, and he he is restored to the joy of God's salvation. And God even said of King David that um, that David was a man after his own heart. Does your heart break like David's did when you realize that you have sinned against God, against the one who saved you, against the one who gave you life? That should be our response. If we're living unrepentantly and we're not, our heart is not breaking over our sin, we need to be, the alarm bells should be sounding in our hearts. And we need to be uh, doing some self-examination And we need to get right with God. A broken and contrite heart God will not despise.
So that is our passage for today. I love you all, and we'll see you next time. God bless.